Focus on Headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Yoon Seung and Lee Ji Young. Guys, welcome back. Good, Good evening. evening. And uh, Happy New Year's to you, Happy Seung. Happy New Year, SJ and Ji Young. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting who I'm seeing for the first time <laughs> in the New Year, so I have to constantly remind myself, but uh-huh. uh, nevertheless, right. that yeah. is correct. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we're going to start things off with some domestic news here. The ruling in opposition parties on Thursday. Thursday, agreeing to extend the parliamentary investigation into the 1029 E21 disaster by 10 days, uh, as the 45-day probe is scheduled to end this week. We talked about how uh, the main opposition DP has been pushing for this, the PPP, the ruling PPP, sort of saying, well, we don't know just yet. And there was a lot of controversy as to why they would not extend it. If there's no answers just yet, well, it looks like they are going to extend it by another 10 days here. Sang, let's get the latest on this. Sure. Chu Ho-young, floor leader of the People Power Party, and Park Kung-gun, floor leader of the Democratic Party, met with reporters after a meeting at the National Assembly earlier on Thursday and said they agreed to extend the parliamentary investigation into deadly Itaewon crowd crush by 10 days until January 17th. The floor leaders also said this plan will be approved at the Assembly's plenary session, which will be held at 2 p.m. on Friday. And the special parliamentary probe into 1029 Itaewon disaster was launched on November 24th last year. And the 45-day period is scheduled to end on January 7th, which is this coming Saturday. However, due to the budget review in the National Assembly, the committee members were only able to kick off the full-scale activities on December 21st last year by conducting the first on-site investigation on that day. On top of that, uh, there were supposed to be three hearings to question key figures and officials involved in the crowd crush, but the third hearing was not even held within the investigation period due to conflicts between two parties over selecting witnesses. And given this situation, both parties agreed on the need for an extension, but um, they were at odds over how how long it would be extended. DP wanted 10 days of extension, while ruling PPP insisted that uh, one week extension is enough. Um, however, as the deadline is coming up in two days, both parties finally reached an agreement today. And a special committee on the parliamentary investigation into the Itaewon crowd crush will discuss the details of the third hearings, uh, such as approving witnesses, and that um, expected to include uh, bereaved families and survivors. And um, they will also discuss controversies over doctor-turned-lawyer Representative Shin Ha-young, who has been accused of interfering with emergency services at the scene of fatal crowd crush by PPP lawmakers. Uh, as a person on the outside, mm-hmm. as a person uh, who, again, I'm sure a lot of the uh, the families of the victims want the answer. I, I can't find any reason as to why you want an extended uh, however long possible in order to get the proper answers here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, what it seems like is the longer it's extended, maybe it doesn't benefit one side. And uh, we've talked about how because this is a parliamentary investigative uh, committee that it's going to be very political, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to see a lot of rift between the political parties, uh, you know, uh, the blame games and so forth. But 
uh, I think the consensus and a lot of uh, you know Koreans, what they're saying is, look, however long it takes, they should continue to extend this uh, as long as they're able to get the correct, uh, the, the answer uh, to who is certainly uh, responsible for the 1029 crowd crush here. Uh, another major issue that uh, we sort of ended the 2022 year was the five North Korean drones that of course uh, uh, came into South Korean airspace uh, and then flew into the no-fly zone surrounding the Yongsan presidential office. Now the Joint Chiefs of Staff had denied that one of these drones intruded into that no-fly zone near the presidential office but now reversed that stance and confirmed that it had violated the no-fly zone. So Tell us a lot. Uh, tell us more about this because this was a bit confusing here. This and that, and that and this, and uh, a lot of us want what actually went on here. Yeah. Now on Wednesday, the uh, Joint uh, Chiefs of Staff uh, admitted that one of the uh, one uh, one of the five drones flew within three kilometers from the presidential office in Yongsan, and this was actually with an interview with Chu Sonilbo on Wednesday. And at that time, military authorities repeatedly dismissed the possibility and claimed it only got as far as the Umpyeong district in uh, the north part of Seoul. But analysis by military intelligence agencies show that one of the drones returned from spying on an area near the presidential office. Now, this is what Defense Minister Lee Jong-sup reported to President uh, Yoon sung yeol Now, a government source also said that they later found the trace of one North Korean drone that went into the P-73 no-fly zone, which covers a 3.7-kilometer radius from the presidential office in Seoul on December 26. Now, the dr- drone flew a low altitude along the Han River between Kimpo, Paju, and Ilsan before reaching Yongsan, and the other four drones diverted uh, the South Korean military's attention by flying around Kanghua Islands in the West Sea. But less than 24 hours after admitting on Thursday, the Joint Chief of Staff uh, again denied some of the reports that the North Korean drone entered the no-fly zone. Uh, The JCS spokesperson Lee Sung-jun said in a press briefing on Thursday that Reports of the enemy unmanned aerial vehicle passing above Yongsan are not true. Um, but the spokesperson did not specify the details on whether the P-73 no-fly zone in Seoul metropolitan area had been infiltrated. So there wasn't really like a, like a good explanation. Mm-hmm. So the spokesperson stressed that the military was not trying to cover up anything and that it's doing its best to inform the public but this has just caused even more confusion. Yeah again I mean if I wasn't uh, if I didn't read the news and found out about this and I'm just hearing this I'm, I'm, I'm already confused I'll be mm-hmm. confused with this again so uh, especially when it comes to news like this when it comes to security issues uh, you don't want confusions like this but again I mean it is kind of, kind of concerning right uh, with these drones because there were reports that uh, at least one of them uh, were visible by the naked eye, which means that it was flying low enough, and there is a very good chance that the one that was visible to the naked eye could have been the one that was uh, flying near the Yongsan area here. But again, uh, let's find out. Uh, We'll find that hopefully we'll get some more answers to that. Uh, Speaking of North Korea, um, I've already kind of said that the September 19th uh, military agreement with uh, the two Koreas is pretty much scrapped. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you judge all the 
number of provocations uh, that uh, North Korea have conducted in the past a few years now. Uh, but now the presidential office is saying, well, you know, they're considering suspending this joint declaration if North Korea invades South Korean territory once again. And this, uh, in line with President Yoon's remark made on the previous day, which signaled again the possible suspension of this so-called you know, tension diffusion military agreement. Uh, so, Seon, tell us more about this. Sure. A key official from the presidential office on Thursday said the South Korean government acknowledged the necessity of reviewing other agreements linked to the September 19th military agreement. It added that since it is a matter of sovereignty, Seoul can invalidate the inter-Korean agreement when facing changes in circumstances. So to give you some backgrounds earlier, when former President Moon Jae-in visited North Korea on September 19, 2018, then-President Moon Jae-in and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un held an inter-Korean summit and signed the Pyongyang Joint Declaration. And on the same day, former Defense Minister Song Young-moo and former People's Armed Forces Minister Do kwang chul signed the September 19th military agreement. So initially, the military agreement is an annex of the Pyongyang Joint declaration. So if one side violates the military agreement, that can be interpreted as violating part of Pyongyang Joint Declaration as well. Although the military agreement calls for halting all hostile military activity and includes plans to turn the demilitarized zone into a peace zone, uh, the agreement has been violated by Pyongyang 17 times since then in total, and 15 of the military provocations were conducted since October last year. Of course, since the tensions on the Korean Peninsula uh, rising day by day, uh, some, again, suggesting not just the possibility of invalidating the uh, September 19th military agreement, but also the Pyongyang Joint Declaration completely as well, right? Right. Um, and this afternoon, in regards to this, presidential office said nothing has been decided on whether to suspend the effectiveness of the Pyongyang Joint Declaration as well, along with the uh, military agreement, which is again mentioned by president yesterday. Some express concerns over suspending even part of the peace agreement because it could lead to a resumption of controversial loudspeaker broadcast into the North. Uh, indeed, the Ministry of Unification said on Thursday that it's conducting a legal review in uh, this regard, and the government is also considering uh, whether to resume distribution of anti-Pyongyang leaflets across the border. And as you know, the loudspeaker broadcast and leaflets, uh, they become really active when the tensions between two Koreas are really high and they can even worsen uh, the situation. Another concern is a peace treaty is really hard to achieve but easy to break and South Korea should respond strongly to North Korea's provocations and continue to condemn and criticize such acts of force that threaten the nation's security. But some pundits argue that it would be a much uh, wiser choice for South Korea to keep the peace treaty and condemn the military provocations of North Korea based on that peace treaty rather than just completely scrapping the Pyongyang Joint Declaration or the military agreement because our ultimate goal is bringing peace to the Korean Peninsula, not breaking the peace. Well, 
the unfortunate thing is, in order to achieve peace, it requires mm -hmm. two sides to achieve right. this. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if South Korea is abiding by, and they have been abiding by the uh, joint military agreement, mm -hmm. although North Korea kind of uh, argues that the joint military exercises with the United States is going against the military agreement. It's, again, it's not offensive in nature. It's nothing like the missile provocations that mm -hmm. North Korea is going through. But you have, to take, uh, you have to understand that this looks bad for North Korea in a number of ways. And this is probably one of the main reasons as to why Washington refuses uh, to lift sanctions first. We talked about the negotiation process, right? A lot of people are saying, well, look, Washington, just lift the sanctions and then see what North Korea does, right? There's a very good chance if you start lifting these sanctions, they'll be, you know, appeased and they'll, you know, stop their nuclear development and things like that. But when there's agreements like this in place and North Korea is going to go ahead and uh, breach it whenever they feel like, right. Washington is going... We can't trust you guys. It makes more difficult to trust. Oh, Pyongyang, absolutely. Right? And so now mm -hmm. by breaking this, Pyongyang does not have a very good position in any kind of negotiation right. talks because no one trusts North Korea mm -hmm. now if they're going to be breaching. But again, Pyongyang is going to consistently say that it was South Korea who breached it first mm -hmm. and so forth. But it's I mean, to me, with all the provocations, unfortunately, the amount of work it required to get the two sides together to agree on this military agreement on September 19th in two, uh, 2018. It took how and the, long? Oh, and the, and the Pyongyang Declaration, uh -huh. all of that is gone to waste, right. unfortunately. And uh, I mean, that was probably as close as we gotten to achieving peace on the Korean mm -hmm. Peninsula. Uh, just just one more thing. Yeah. But if you if we actually scrap it uh -huh. and make it official, don't you think that is taking actually more steps backwards? It, and just it, kind of yeah, suspending yeah. it and scrapping it are mm -hmm. two different things. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And scrapping it completely mm -hmm. would give some leeway to North Korea to say, right. ha, you broke our agreement. Right, so right. it's something that uh, the, the government should should also uh, just really be um, uh, consider a lot yeah, on this. That's my point uh, the, 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 the right. wording as mm -hmm. well. Because you're right, North Korea could actually say this because North Korea never scrapped the agreement, Absolutely. right? And so it's almost like you're they're the probably one who first officially scrapped the treaty, mm -hmm. right? They're, so they're trying North to force South Korea to get into a position where that they scrap hurt. it and then they go, "All right, it was you guys that ended this. Now we could do whatever we want. We're gonna mm -hmm. start, you know, shooting missiles left and right. We're gonna start testing our nuclear weapons and so forth." Absolutely. And you're right, absolutely. And if we, and in my opinion, if it does get scrapped. It's taking not only several steps back, but I think it's going to bring about more tensions on That's the Korean right. Peninsula. And so you're right. Uh, maybe suspending it and scrapping Chiang, very, very good point there. But we know for sure that uh, it was uh, North Korea that's already kind of, uh, you know, breached all this. And it's non-existent, uh, mm -hmm. just judging by what North Korea is doing here. Uh, in the meantime, next Friday, U.S. President Joe Biden and Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida will be meeting in Washington. The two leaders expected to discuss trilateral military equality operation. This, of course, uh, with the three countries we often talk about, South Korea, the U.S., and Japan. Jian, let's get more details on this. Uh, sure. Now, White House National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic, Strategic Communications, John Kirby, uh, told reporters on Wednesday that trilateral military cooperation among South Korea, the U.S., and Japan would continue in response to the increased tensions by Pyongyang. Now, Kirby noted that 
there have been some bilateral exercises between the U.S. and Japan in recent weeks, uh, which was a direct response to increasing tensions by North Korea, and said that such exercises will continue. Now, he also said that Washington and Tokyo will continue to look for ways to bolster their already robust bilateral military cooperation, as well as a trilateral cooperation with Seoul. Now, regarding North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's recent call for uh, an exponential increase of the country's nuclear arsenal, Kirby said that the U.S. is closely monitoring the regime's pursuit of additional military capabilities and its nuclear ambitions. Now, he said that the recent drills are part of efforts by the U.S. to continue ensuring that it is properly postured to defend both its primarily alliances with South Korea and Japan, and as well as its greater national security interest in the region and beyond. That's right. Uh, We're going to move on here, talk about something that's uh, very concerning. As you know, 2022, and you know, it's unfortunate because 2022, again, it's like New Year comes out and we have high expectations. I think 2022 was kind of the year where we're like, all right, finally, COVID-19 pandemic, let's get this over with. Uh, It was kind of headed that way. We saw another uptick in cases worldwide. And of course, the war in Ukraine was the biggest uh, conflict in 2022. Meanwhile, uh, potential conflict on the Korean Peninsula. This has been ranked at the highest level among potential conflicts in the world in a 2023 survey uh, conducted by a U.S. think tank. Jiang, tell us more about this. Sure. A uh, crisis caused by the nuclear weapons programs in North Korea ranked as Tier 1 contingency in the 2023 Preventive Priority Survey released by the Council on Foreign Relations, also known as CFR, on Wednesday. Uh, based on the survey of 540 U.S. government officials, foreign policy experts, and academics, um, the CPA classified security threats into three tiers uh, in consideration of their impact on U.S. security interests. The CPA classified security threats into three tiers and conducted um, and seven scenarios were included in the tier one contingencies, including the crisis in Taiwan Strait, which was highly influenced by the rivalry between the U.S. and China, and also armed conflict in Ukraine, cyber attack targeting the U.S., military confrontation between Israel and Iran, as well as North Korea's nuclear ambitions. Uh, Tier two contingencies include uh, escalating conflict between Israel and the Palestinians over settlement issues and protests and systematic changes in Iran and so on. And uh, tier three uh, include border disputes between China and India and also Myanmar's military issues. Again, I mean, this is uh, frightening uh, results of the survey because I think 
a lot of us uh, who live in here in South Korea, we're kind of desensitized with any kind of tensions on the Korean Peninsula. So if North Korea is going off uh, testing their nu- uh, their uh, missiles and stuff like that, we not we were, there was never really any concerns that, that uh, a war was going to break out or anything like that. But after seeing what happened with uh, Ukraine and so forth and the way that the world did geopolitical tensions and stuff like that, anything is possible. Right. And uh, which is why I think uh, even South Korean citizens who've been desensitized for many, many years on all the things that happened on the Korean Peninsula, they're thinking differently right now. And there's a lot of people who are saying, oh, my goodness, is it, will a war break out? Uh, hopefully that's not the case. And I've mentioned this before. Uh, provoking North Korea is the last thing I think we should be doing uh, because this is exactly what they want. They want an excuse to start something. And uh, hopefully uh, this is just a threat and uh, we won't see any of this actually uh, come into effect here in 2023. Uh, In the meantime, let's talk COVID-19. We've talked about certain restrictions put in place for travelers who are coming in from uh, China. Now, all travelers, now there's both Koreans and foreigners coming from China, must present a negative COVID-19 test result before entering South Korea. Now, the South Korean government announced the new measures uh, amid soaring number of travelers from China testing positive uh, for COVID-19. I know, Seung, you're going to give us the numbers later on. The the, num- the positivity rate is Pretty frightening, shocking. actually. So, Seung, right. let's get more on this. All right. Um, South Korean government last Friday announced that it would impose mandatory PCR tests on travelers from mainland China, joining many other countries with similar measures, including the U.S., Italy, and Japan. In addition to that, currently, South Korea is restricting issuing short-term visas for Chinese nationals nationals, and has temporarily suspended increasing flights from China. And those coming from China can only enter through Incheon International Airport, and, and that's the only gateway now. And this is, of course, uh, was due to concerns over a growing number of COVID patients in China and lack of reliable, transparent data on the number of confirmed patients, death or hospitalization by Chinese government. On top of the previous measure, South Korea had to further strengthen the measure due to concerning number of people arriving from China testing positive for COVID-19, like you said, SJ, especially when South Korea already has been vigilant about new surge of COVID cases in winter season. According to KDCA, a total of 172 imported cases were reported as of midnight Wednesday, and among which 131 from China. This means travelers from China accounted for 76%. Of the 172, 135 were foreigners and 37 were Koreans. Amid growing concerns over increasing number of travelers coming from China testing positive for COVID, from Thursday, those from China to South Korea will be required to show a negative COVID-19 PCR test result taken within 48 hours or a rapid antigen test um, taken by a medical expert no more than a day prior to departure. Uh, But there are some exceptions. Um, Travelers who need to attend a funeral, visitors with diplomatic purposes, young children under the age of six, and those who have already contracted and treated for COVID within 
40 days do not have to show a PCR test result. Meanwhile, travelers from Hong Kong and Macau will also be required to submit negative test results before entering the country from January 7th. You know, I know there was a lot of uh, remarks coming in from the Chinese government mm. basically saying the world mm-hmm. is against yeah, us. We're going to uh, talk about this, this discrimination. Is, this, is, yes. this is messed up, but mm-hmm. uh, um, I mean, I think there's reasons to this. And the one that really, really upset us here in the country was when there was a news of a Chinese man. I believe he was a man in his 40s. Mm. Uh, he had uh, basically been found uh, tested. He's been tested for uh, positive for COVID-19. Uh, he refused to go into the government uh, you know, provided uh, facility there. And uh, he was on the loose uh, for quite a bit now. Uh, let's talk more about this, Heung. Right. Well, uh, fortunately, he has been apprehended by authorities in Seoul, but it was quite threatening news because he went to supermarket, which can be a very crowded place, and took a taxi as well. A man in his early 40s who arrived from China tested positive for COVID-19 at Incheon Airport, refused quarantine and fled from a hotel in Yeongjongdo, Incheon, Tuesday night. And police on Thursday arrested him and currently they are conducting further investigate uh, the reason he fled and the route he took. I just want to tell you that contracting COVID is not a crime, but running away uh, can be a crime. And if you have symptoms, delaying or canceling your trip is highly recommended. But if you did not know you had COVID and tested positive on your arrival, just follow the quarantine measures, the official guidelines, and you'll be fine. Again, it's it's uh, it's irresponsible. It's uh, it's selfish, right. and uh, by you, you know, not being in quarantine and stuff like that, you're also going to risk, you know, other people getting mm. uh, infected and so forth. And I think this is going to uh, it could potentially even hurt diplomatically. I think, but the government mm. has been on. It alert over wintertime COVID-19 surge. And recently, we have been seeing uh, a jump in the numbers as well. The figures are very concerning. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who are uh, critically ill, that's also concerning as well. So, Jiang, let's get the latest updates on the, uh, the COVID-19 numbers. Uh, sure. Now, the daily caseload jumped to 81,056 on Tuesday this week and slightly fell to 78,575 uh, on on Wednesday, and you're seeing a, uh, lo- a lower trend as we see on Thursday, 64,106 new cor- coronavirus infections, uh, including 194 from overseas. Now, critically ill patients uh, are a 517, and for the past four days, the numbers were in the 600, so that number also decreased as well. And and we're, we saw 66 deaths uh, uh, on Thursday as well. Now, of the ni- 194 imported cases reported on Thursday, 137 or 70.6% of them were from China and 70, 37 were from other Asian nations. Now, as you can see, the number of coronavirus cases from China um, out of the total imported infections has in Korea has grown at a fast pace in recent weeks. Yeah, and uh, that's what one of those things where we time and time out, we get our, you know, I mean, we don't do it as often as we used to, but mm-hmm. get our COVID-19 numbers. Uh, reporters used to give the imported numbers and the imported numbers were like, 
something in the single two digits, digits. yeah, single two to two digits, digits yeah. and stuff like that, low two digits, and now you're seeing three digits. And obviously, you can see that it's coming from the inbound travelers from uh, China. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, as we mentioned, the Chinese government is not happy with the world basically going, you know, putting these measures into China. They don't understand that the situation there is bad. Mm-hmm. They're bringing in a lot of these uh, uh, travelers who are you know, testing positive for COVID-19. But instead, they're basically saying this is a political move. And they said that they will uh, have countermeasures against nations imposing these COVID-19 measures for the Chinese travelers. This including, of course, South Korea, who has measures, uh, the Mm -hmm. United States, the UK, a number of European countries Mm -hmm. have it, Canada, Australia. The list is going to get bigger and bigger. And all of this, again, uh, who's right, who's wrong? Let's talk more about this, Heung. All right. As mentioned uh, um, earlier, more and more countries are mandating PCR tests for travelers from China. And this is because many voice concern that the Chinese authorities are greatly reducing the number of confirmed cases and death despite the soaring number of COVID-19 infections at home. With this concern, World Health Organization has also urged China to share more real-time information. The Chinese 40 Ministry spokesman Mao Ning said Tuesday that although China is willing to improve communication with the world, at the same time, the Chinese government firmly opposes attempts to use epidemic prevention and control measures for political purposes, and it will take corresponding measures. This isn't the first time China has been in conflict with the Internet national community over COVID. Um, I think you remember back in 2019 when the virus was first detected in Wuhan, central China, Chinese government strongly opposed to support the study into the origins of the pandemic. And China has also rejected the supply of free COVID vaccines offered by the EU, saying that they have sufficient amount of vaccines already. I mean, they might have sufficient amount of vaccines, but if you look at the the vaccination rate in China, it's actually pretty low here. But it is concerning when the WHO is coming out and basically saying that China is not really giving accurate information mm-hmm. as to the with the, uh, the daily COVID-19 cases, the critically ill patients and the death and the hospitalization right. and things like that. And we've always been kind of uh, skeptical with the numbers that were coming out in the first place. But here's another interesting one. We've heard news and reports that there was a widespread of the Omicron subvariant XBB 1.5. Uh, which, according to the WHO, has growth advantages. Uh, it can also, uh, they're, saying, they're saying potentially the, the vaccines that we have in place might not even be mm. uh, effective against this XBB. Uh, but now Chinese quarantine authorities have dismissed the possibility of this new COVID-19 strain spreading in the nation, despite the the, the reports that have come out. Right. And that's because um, to prevent anxiety over a new wave growing at home, especially when it's already suffering soaring number of confirmed cases. China's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention claimed on um, its official Chinese social media WeChat account on Wednesday that the possibility of another wave caused by the XBB15 subvariant is extremely low within three months. Meanwhile, as we uh, as we need more data quickly to get ahead of this fast-changing virus, WHO called for more effort from China to prevent a further spread, asking for more rapid and regular and reliable data. That's right. And again, I mean, uh, 
We talked about this a number of times, but this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, it's something that the world has to come it's together to fight. Thing. And if you're not sharing data, if you're giving false information on the information, that's probably a very good reason as to probably putting these measures in place for all the inbound uh, travelers. And mind you, uh, it's not the government, the, all the countries are not targeting just Chinese travelers, right? Mm -hmm. They're targeting basically travelers who are coming from China, mm -hmm. which means like for us, we're also basically saying any Koreans that are coming in from China, you need to, uh, you know, basically supply them with uh, the, 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 the test results before you come in and things like that. So it's not really targeting Chinese nationals. I mean, come on, you have so many people getting right. affected in China and we're just trying to get over uh, this pandemic right now. They were late to the game. They right. closed out and they, they, they had no problem. They missed problem. the opportunity to well, they also establish the herd immunity and everything. Yeah, but they also closed uh, the borders on against all the other countries at the time when the, you know people were right. opening up. And so now they're saying that, wait, what are mm -hmm. you guys doing here, right? Uh, let's go over to the United States here. After two days and six rounds of votes, the House of Representatives has still not elected a leader. Uh, we're looking at uh, Kevin McCarthy blocked by nearly two dozen congressmen who were part of his own parties uh, to take the gavel and frustration, tension within the Republican Party. Uh, it's really reaching its high here. Uh, Chiyoung, you have more on this. Uh, yes. Now, it seems as though Kevin McCarthy cannot win the 219 votes the House uh, uh, needs in order to become the next Speaker of the House. And as you mentioned, uh, he lost six consecutive times. On, and on Wednesday, the House decided to adjourn without having a real solution to this issue. Uh, uh, the Republicans opposing Representative uh, Kevin McCarthy's bid to become the next House Speaker generally have made their mark as a part of the GOP's ultra-conservative wing and eager to pick a fight with the leaders from both parties, and some even call them MAGA people. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Donald Trump uh, finally chimed in and urged the Republicans to, quote, stop embarrassing themselves and vote for Kevin McCarthy. Now, many of the Republicans rep opposing McCarthy were even endorsed by Trump when they were campaigning. So we're seeing just people just wanting to agree because they they can, uh, disagree because they can. Mm -hmm. So at this moment, New York Democrat Hakeem Jeffries has led all three votes with uh, 212, uh, 11 more than McCarthy. And while it would be unprecedented, uh, Speaker Jeffries isn't out of the question. So as the last resort, lawmakers could adopt a resolution that would elect a speaker by what's called a plurality vote. Now, in that case, McCarthy would only need two, uh, two votes, uh, 213 votes, but with Jeffries already securing 212, a uh, plurality, plurality vote could be risky and even cost McCarthy the speakership if even one or two Republicans voted for Jeffries. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is, I, I've never seen this happen in, recently, in recent memory, and this is quite it's interesting. Chaos. No, it's very, but that's the thing with, even with like amongst the, uh, the, uh, 
upcoming now, well, the next presidential election, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be chaotic as well mm-hmm. because a lot of the Republicans, they're kind of s- split on Ron DeSantis or are they going to start supporting Trump once again? And then yeah. you're already going to see a split amongst exactly. the Republicans. And maybe this is what the Democrats are looking for. No, but right? actually, in de- even the Democrats, it's such a fiasco at this moment. Democrats are, yeah, oh, I feel I feel for you, Republicans. <laughs> uh, we don't want this. But uh, even they're giving them uh, some sympathy. So it's pretty bad if the Democrats are giving sympathy to, to the GOP. Uh, I wish I could say that it's not the same here in South Korea, but we're also kind of seeing something similar here <laughs> as well. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. guys, thank you very much for your report. Please stay safe and we'll see you guys again. See, see you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.